0: Well, this week in film marketing, we're going back to 1999. The Mummy, a horror film, an adventure film, just a good, rip-roaring adventure film. Pascal, let's watch the trailer. Where did you get this? On a dig down in Thebes.
1: Jonathan, I think you found something.
0: There is an ancient legend Of a place known as the
1: City of the Dead. We call it the Doorway to Hell. Where the earliest pharaohs were said to have hidden the wealth of Egypt. Are we going into battle? There's something out there. something underneath that sand. They came to uncover its secrets.
0: Mummies, my good son. This is where they made the mummies.
1: They sought to unlock its treasure. And then there was light. Oh, boy. What they did... Oh my God, it does exist. I think this may be the Book of the Dead.
0: ...was unleash a force unlike any the world has ever known. You must not read from the book!
1: Ah! What the hell was that? You
0: have unleashed the creature that we have feared for more than 3,000 years. Whoa! He will regenerate and no longer be the undead.
1: We are in serious trouble. this one vacation the occasion calls for
0: it trust me it calls
1: for it no! universal pictures invites you this power is a groin Run! this just keeps getting better and better to experience the adventure it appears he's already chosen his human sacrifice that will live forever if he turns me into a mummy you're the first one i'm coming after go
0: Oh, what a film, do you know, oh God, what I mean. a film I, I rem- we went to see this at the cinema and we absolutely just wanted to see it sh- again, straight away. It just had everything, you know, it was, it was, it was fun. It was action packed, you know, quite a bit of um, horror in there as well, a perfect package. And one of, one of the best sort of adventure horror films ever made, I would su- suggest.
1: Oh, absolutely! I remember to this day being at the cinema. We uh, went in Newcastle, and everyone in theatre was laughing at the same time, cheering. You know, wincing when it was horrible. We'll talk about those, um, you know, Beatles in a moment. Um, oh. my memory of you know the music by Jerry Goldsmith, the the landscape, and can't just say there has to be something that is now part of our psyche as a global population about. Egypt in the 1930s. I mean, we we've talked about Death on the Nile actually mm, you know, some weeks mm. ago. But at the moment you take us there, as I did with Raiders and, and a few other things, uh, I, I accept it. Whatever you're going to present to me, I accept it. And this movie is truly thrilling. And I would say we watch it at least once a year, easily.
0: Yeah, I mean again great cast. Oh, yes. Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss, John Hannah. You know most people associate John Hannah with Four Weddings and a Funeral and possibly mm-hmm. uh, The earlier versions of the Inspector Rebus TV series Arnold Vosloo we and uh, we, we mentioned earlier What a scary individual totally bald individual mm. as well not not you know, not what you would expect from the mummy I mean, I had vis- uh, you know, visions from my childhood of what watching mummy films where the mummy was just always wrapped in in um, in these sort of bindings uh, whereas this guy was just a big big bald guy who was really quite scary and and I actually Rachel Vice is very funny in this film. Mm. I think her comic timing, there's one bit where she says something like, uh, I know what you're thinking, what's a place like me doing in a girl like you, or, or whatever it was. And, <laughs> yeah. and she also mentioned, there's that really creepy guy as well, and she says, you know, horrible little men like you always get their comeuppance. And, sure, and sure of, enough, of course it, it he does. does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you're right, you yeah. know, and I loved, do you know, so what, what is interesting about uh, the, the Mummy, um, it's a Universal Studios property and the studio who could say invented the summer blockbuster when i did the research about the marketing they were claiming that they wanted to relaunch the summer blockbuster phenomenon Ooh. in 1999 so clearly there, there was some views that in the 90s the summer blockbusters or movies lost their way and this was yeah. a movie to so there is a a, a kinship with with jaws Uh, A bit of Star Wars in there as well, because this was a difficult and grueling shoot, particularly when they went to to Morocco. And I think there's a link, of course, to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. But it's a movie of its own. So nobody's saying it's a second-rate Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's, it's a second-rate this. But I thought it was fascinating that that was their commitment. And we'll talk about the marketing because that had a bearing in that. But for me, it was just this idea of being introduced to the adventurer. You have the mm-hmm. librarian. You had the gambler. You know, John Hanau plays a superb role. And then multiple faceted villains, you know, Emo e- you know, and so on. But what was interesting, the casting was difficult because the vast majority of the people they eventually accepted to be on the film were against it because a, they didn't know whether they wanted to do horror. And then when they realized what it was, well, is it going to be a bit weird and a bit, you know, like <laughs> corny and embarrassing? And the kinship with Star Wars is there for me because you remember Harrison Ford many times and Mark Hamill reported They were filming Star Wars, and they were like, this is going to be terrible. I mean, is it meant to be funny? Is it meant to be scary? Is it meant to be actiony? We don't know what we're doing here, and this could be a career ender for all of us, (laughs) uh, which I think is absolutely fascinating.
0: And, of course, the other link is with Star Wars is that The Mummy was launched in the same year As the phantom
1: menace yes so let's use that as a segue for the Mm. marketing so Mm. so for me what has been interesting about looking at the marketing marketing became a solution to a problem or a challenge okay so 1999 was the year of the phantom menace the most anticipated return to a galaxy far far away the return to george lucas behind the lens if i'm not mistaken he directed the first one and that created the challenge because, of course, if you want to be the summer blockbuster that is going to rekindle the interest in you know summer movie going, the problem that you have is that if your movie is released more or less at the same time as the Phantom Menace, you're not going to get a look in whatsoever. So what they had to do was to move the kind of approved and signed off release date of the 21st of May 1999 to the 7th of May. 1999, because the Phantom Menace was being released on the 19th of May. And you can just imagine how tricky that is from a marketing point of view, from the booking of the screenings point of view, from everything else, but having maybe to change maybe even the narration of the trailers and so on and so forth in 1999. So the movie was released on the 7th of May instead of the 21st. I thought that was maybe a very cheeky move. They did have a premiere on the 4th of May, Star
0: Wars Day. Do you think that was done on purpose? Ooh, did we, did we even call May the 4th, May the 4th be with you back then? I don't know, but actually it was mm. an
1: interesting coincidence whether there was already a place. Um, but then what they did, which I thought was interesting, you know, I talk a lot about in a movie being released almost on the same day globally at the same time, Sometimes I wonder if it's to avoid video piracy or it's just, you know, good marketing. But what they did here was it was essentially a summer 1999 rollout. So mm-hmm. 7th of May was the US, 25th of June was the UK, a month later in July was France. And the movie was rolled out, you know, almost territory by territory until the last one was in September in New Zealand. So you had essentially from May to September, people talked about the Mummy around the world in in different ways and it was ultimately a very wise decision because this was a number one movie uh, early may and once phantom menace was released of course it went on to second third fourth and and so on and so forth
0: yeah i mean it's interesting i'm thinking back now because obviously like everybody in the world i was absolutely (laughs) gagging to see the phantom menace but i think that if i had recorded the number of times we've watched the mummy compared to how many times we've watched The Phantom Menace. I know that The Mummy would win. Yeah, I would agree. Because
1: for me, is it's that reassurance of watching movies again, because you know about Rick O'Connell, you know about Evelyn, you know about Imhotep, you know, and Benny and Ardeth Bay and all those characters. But I look forward to be, once again, you know, all these years later, completely surprised and, and amazed by the landscape, by the, the, the some of the sets, particularly at the end, you know, you have the big showdown against the mummies and so on. And the special effects at the time, I mean, some of it has not aged well, but because you had that wonderful combination of action, comedy, and horror, you kind of forgive it. And listen, you know, if we can forgive Star Wars from 1977, you know, <laughs> we can forgive The Mummy from ninety-nine.
0: So you mm. described that as the first marketing challenge, Pascal. Mm. Uh, but you mentioned that there were at least three marketing challenges, and the second the second one is all about the actual title of yes. the film, the Mummy. So su-
1: surprisingly documented, you know, the, the very people working on the marketing of The Mummy um, are quoted to say that the, the title presented them with a the challenge to, to say, when they were doing test audiences, and can I just quickly open a bracket and close it? I'd love to be invited to those test screening. I don't know what you have to do. I don't know where you have to go, Roger. Um, Perhaps people know, but you know, I hear about those test screenings that sometimes have actually quite a, an impact on the end result, all the way to canceling shows like mm-hmm. Bad Girls. But how do they do them? Anyway, they did a test audience, <laughs> and the audience left completely confused because they were convinced that they were about to see a horror movie. Uh, And sometimes even worse, they were saying, I wasn't really keen because this was, to me, a remake of the very old horror movie from back in in, in the 40s and 50s. So the temptation could have been to change the title to make it clearer. So the marketing president at the time, Mark Schmugger, recall saying, we chose to actually re-educate the audience and redefine the myth of the film rather than changing the title. That's really
0: interesting because sitting here having seen that film so many times, I couldn't think of what else you would have called it. Mm. Um, You know, Egypt revenge or the terror of the tombs or who knows what it would be but the mummy is i mean it's the mummy wasn't it that it was a remake yes maybe i'm old enough to remember the original films anyway and, and therefore i wasn't the, the people who were confused in the test screenings but uh it had to be the mummy so i'm glad that they took the decision to re-style the marketing and just educate people that this isn't just an out and out horror film it's an action adventure horror comedy which is obviously a lot more wide wide by spread appeal.
1: Yeah, although that argument, with the benefits of um, not just hindsight, but foresight, doesn't stack up when you look at their recent effort with Tom Cruise, because (laughs) they they went back to creating a horror film. But we are in 1999, and the third challenge that was being um, expressed and documented by the filmmakers was, I suppose, uh, linking to the title, they really, really wanted to promote and sell an action-adventure comedy mm-hmm. with a bit mm-hmm. of horror, but more importantly for all ages and all audiences because we're back to the summer blockbuster phenomenon. And and of course, you and I know that that's one of the hardest thing you can do in marketing to have actually uh, no audi- all audiences as your target audience means you don't know how to to go about it. So they had to work super hard on their marketing pack, which we're going to describe, you know, the, p- the posters, the trailers and the TV and radio spots. But the one thing that they had to do is to commit to the one big investment to. Essentially counteract the lack of interest and appetite clearly that they could sense and of course as reported time and time again on the the film marketing Segment they went for the TV spot during the
0: Super Bowl uh, event Which we know of course is a very if not the the most expensive Advertising slot in the in the world isn't it every year that is prime time very expensive and they paid what was it, $1.6 million for that spot? Oh,
1: and, and, and so so people then became very critical. Uh, so what I'm going to mean is and you can't have it both ways. You can't <laughs> not have somebody trying to market their movie, particularly if they have evidence that it's not going to work, and they have already had to, to, to kind of uh, tackle the issue of The Phantom Menace. And now you're blaming them for doing a successful marketing <laughs> campaign. You can't have it both ways. But what has been interesting is, of course, this movie is so loved that people look at it, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years later. And to this day, they are promoting it. But, you know, doing the kind of um, 20th of anniversary review of the, the movie, the director, Steven Summers, who becomes synonymous to Adventure Romp, said, you know, that before that 32nd Super Bowl spot, nobody was interested. Mm-hmm. After
0: the Super Bowl spot, everybody wanted to see the mummy. Yeah, absolutely. And and Pascal, tell me about the posters because I mean, you you made this uh, this this um, illusion earlier on. We've spoken about. Death on the Nile. We've spoken mm. about the Indiana Jones films. There does seem to be, over the history of movies, a sort of colour palette, doesn't there? <laughs> and the iconogra- iconography of, of, of Egypt, the pyramids, obviously, and how the pyramids often get built into the typefaces or, or whatever it might be. I, I just think, again, you've got that that gorgeous golden colour palette going mm. on with these posters.
1: Yeah, it's a combination of um, the, the glow, the sand, and the sharp edges of the pyramid. You know, that's what they've been they've been using. And they also then, with the teaser poster, so what you had is the lower third, you had the pyramid. You know, the, the sand, you know, is it sunrise, is it sunset, it's always difficult to say. You had the mummy, and they play to the symmetry of the M-U-double-M-Y, mm. so the, the first M is kind of um, a little bigger. This is where maybe it's opening a portal uh, to you know either time and space for the mummy to be to be reawakened. and of course with the teaser poster that the kind of the lower two thirds is a rendition of the mummy's kind of face, mask using sand effects, and and of course when you go and see the film, uh, all this is revealed, and as part of the reveal, there was a strapline which I will say probably didn't help the marketing uh, fully because when you have things like the sands will rise, the heavens will part, the power will be unleashed. I just don't know whether that's uh, the best way to really get people excited about this movie and to convey, of course, you know, that this is a action comedy, not a horror film. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I, I you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about complexity versus simplicity, that's actually quite a complicated Mm. strap line, isn't it? You've got a lot to take in there. You know, I I would have, I would have more gone along with something like he's been unleashed or something (laughs) like that. Yeah. Unleashed from the sands of time or something like that would have probably worked better, but Hey, it's what they decided to go with.
1: Indeed, and you know, to Steven Sommers and all everybody else who worked on the Mummy, this is not a criticism. It's mm. just you know, twenty three odd years later, we can just go, oh, yeah, I wonder. And then from the teaser poster, where it was all by the Mummy, of course the characters are being introduced in what would be for me kind of photo montage. So that takes me back in my days of marketing of doing things where you layer, um, you know, different types of photography. So we have um, the characters of, of Rick and Evelyn. And then we have, in the background, the pyramids. We have the army uh, charging and so on and so forth. So more more intrigue, more kind of uh, suggesting this is going to be a big, big adventure, Yarn. But I also wanted to kind of put to you the... um, Is it a fourth marketing challenge? Is that at the time, um, territories had different rules with regard to what you could show on a poster and Mm. the presence or or the absence of seemingly violence or nudity and so on. So in some territories, you have the character Rick O'Connell holding a a torch, Mm. suggesting that they are investigating the pyramid and the corridors. And then some posters is holding a a rifle because in some parts you couldn't show the weapon and that kind of thing. So this is fascinating interesting about the challenges of promoting a property in different different territories and different cultures
0: of course and what I also liked about the TV spots that you've you've um, come up with for this Pascal again it reminded me of death on the Nile because effectively there was a TV TV spot for each of the characters wasn't there almost you've got John Hanna you've got Brendan Fraser Rachel Etc each with their own dedicated TV spot. Now, again, Death on the Nile had a cast of characters, an ensemble cast of characters, and I seem to remember that each of them had a poster. They probably didn't have a TV spot, but again, it just shows how important it is to invest a little bit of your marketing into giving people an insight into the people, the characters that they're going to be interacting with.
1: Yeah, and those TV spots, there was four that had been gathered by some kind of YouTube historian, so thank you very much for for the effort. <laughs> and they each had, you're right, a different focus. Was it on the, on the mummy? Was it on Rick? Was it on Evelyn? And... If we had time, we could study, as we've done with um, in time, you know, the construct of those TV spots. But clearly, the first fifteen seconds you have the voiceover narrations, and then the final fifteen seconds a montage of the action, the scenery, uh, the exploration of the pyramid, and, and everything you would want from that that type of uh, that type of movie. And um, so, so listen, you know, for something that um, was released. 23 years ago now, that, that wanted to reclaim the, the summer blockbuster spot. I, I think that they achieved their goal, but I think they would have been even surprised to realise that all those years later people are still talking about the movie over and over again. I mean, the number of podcasts, of vi- videos, of magazines, both, let's say, train magazines and public magazines that are covering The, the, the Mummy is incredible. I mean, 20th 20, 20 of, um, of anniversary, sorry, you have magazine like Entertainment Weekly and Premiere and Total Film. There was an article I came across called Snakes, Sandstorm, and Strangulation, <laughs> The Making of 1999's The Mummy. And this is making reference to how tough the shoot was akin to the shoot of Jaws or even Star Wars. The strangulation, I thought this was almost like urban legend, but actually in the recent interview given for Yahoo News, Brandon Fraser did confirm that he actually got uh, strangulated in the scene where is um, obviously allegedly being killed you know, with um, the rope because they time it so badly that he was dangling with his oh. rope around his neck for far too long and actually lost consciousness and had to be revived by the uh, by the medics my goodness i hadn't realized that that's mm. uh, that's quite scary isn't it so so this carries on you know the presence of the mummy you and i've said you know we watched it so, so many times you had the the i had the um the the VHS cassette box, which looked beautiful between The Mummy and The Mummy Returned. You had the DVD, you had the Blu-ray uh, released in 2012 as part of the 100th anniversary celebration of Universal Studios. But I was absolutely surprised to realize that as this year, on the 12th of November, the time of recording, the British Museum is organizing a special event and as well as talking about you know uh, Egypt and and you know, the, the research, they are also
0: doing a special screening of the mummy. Whoa, that's just that's just incredible, isn't it? Again, it just goes to show it's become legend. And interesting that the British Museum is actually hosting a special event about a fictional film.
1: Yeah. To me, it shows its impact. It shows mm-hmm. probably um, some of the, you know, it's linked with um, historical event and and some truth into it. But to create an experience where you know the event of the British Museum has a, uh, a presentation from a historian adventurer, and then to close and to wrap it up because they know that this is you know what you do, you leave people smiling. They're going to have a well of time watching the mummy within the involvement of the British Museum. The other thing is wonderful.
0: Yeah. And two things that I just like to finish on, Pascal. First of all, you mentioned the more recent Tom Cruise mummy film, mm-hmm. uh, which I never think about. I can't. Re- I can't even recall the plot. <laughs> this is the one that sticks in the mind and often gets yeah. rewatched, as opposed to that one. And also, you were you did mention the Beatles earlier on, so I'm going to mention the Beatles to finish with. And that creepy guy that rachel vice said would get his comeuppance well he did get his comeuppance because he got yes. eaten by those awful awfully scary scarab beetles which abs- that the, the sound effect as they as thousands of them scurry across the floor so <laughs> that is just one of the most you know hairs on the back of the neck moments of the film to me was just oh those scarab so, beetles horrible so
1: well so well realized um uh. I mean, that's of my favorite moment, my second favorite moment, um, uh, I will confess, is near the end where the character Rick O'Connell is fighting against the revived mummified guard and soldiers, mm, because mm. actually at the time, he was doing it to, to nothing. He, he learned the movement taught to him by the stone coordinator by heart, and it looks so uh, real, forgive me, you know, uh, eventually they added the, the CGI uh, mummies, oddly from the um, ILM division, from mm-hmm. George Lucas. So, you know, we we're talking about the competition between Phantom Menace and uh, and the mummy, but actually the special effects were done by the division that also worked in the Phantom Menace. So they're all friends, really, after all. But that, that, that sequence where he's fighting those mummies
0: is just so cleverly pulled together that was blown away still am to this day. Pascal, as always, you've chosen a remarkable film. And as always, we could carry on talking about it for at least another hour i would think but we haven't got time to do that because the show needs to come to an end thank you everybody so much for listening to to watching the latest episode episode 87 of two geeks and a marketing podcast as always it's been an absolute pleasure bringing you all the content that we've done this week if you've got any comments on the show do please leave a comment on the youtube channel or pascal listeners viewers can talk to us on SpeakPipe, can't they? Oh,
1: we'd love to hear some friendly voices on speakpipe.com forward
0: slash two geeks and a marketing podcast. So thank you so much again. And remember, until next time, go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni.